That was a really important part to cut it. <clears throat> we are just coming in to a new season, perhaps, where, are you, are you picking me up on sound okay, guys? Yeah. Where um, lockdown is being lifted. Restrictions are being lifted. Things are being eased. Stay-at-home orders are changing. We have lost in t recent times an awful lot of freedom and people are fed up. And so therefore, this, this sort of feeling of loss of something being restored is giving a lot of us hope. And so we're celebrating this, the sense of hope that we are going to be released a wee bit more, to be set free in Jesus' first message, the first message he preached at his local synagogue, he said this, he has sent me to proclaim release or liberty, freedom for the captives, to set the oppressed free. His message was one of liberation. It was one of freedom. If the Son sets you free, Jesus said, you'll be free indeed. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full, he said. Jesus came with a message of liberty and freedom and the life he offers is a chain-free life. Our new series is called Live Free. And it's based on a letter to a group of churches in a region called Galatia. A group of churches who now knew freedom but they were in danger of losing it. They somehow had embraced freedom, but Paul, who was writing to them, Paul, who had established these churches, was concerned because he was watching this freedom disappear. I was re reading an article uh, about, as you do, pilot wheels, they're called. Uh, and these are, these are wheels that, that go around in pods. Uh, that's like a, a group of wheels. And, and they follow one that leads them. And sometimes this leader will lead them in a direction which is in, uh, in danger. They lead them into shores, into sandbanks. And you'll have heard of stories of whales getting beached. And, 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 and the rescuers try to release them and, and set them free and go out to the ocean. But somehow they get confused and they return to the same place. And it's very sad to watch how these whales don't embrace the freedom that is in front of them. And I was reading an article, uh, it was, you might have heard of it, it was about uh, 14 years ago in 2008 about a, a, a whale and her cub or her calf rather, uh, were, had got stranded on a beach on the east coast of the North Island of uh, New Zealand. And, and they got beached and there were conserv conservationists and, and all sorts of good uh, will people who were trying to get them released, trying to set them free. And every time they did this, the wheel, the mother wheel, she would turn somehow and come back to the shore. And they attempted this in about four attempts, and each time the same thing happened. And they were about to give up, and they were about to simply put the whale out of its misery. When all of a sudden, a dolphin came along, known locally um, as, I'm trying to remember the name of the dolphin, Moko, M-O-K-O. -O. 
uh, or maybe Mako. And the dolphin was used to swimming with the punters in, 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 the, in the beach. And it came along and started somehow communicating true story with this whale. And after a while, the mother whale seemed to settle down, become less anxious, and followed the, the, the dolphin with her, with her calf through this gully out to the waters of freedom. And what seemed like a story that was going to be tragic ended up in an amazingly good news story. And so looking at this, I read an an interview that one of the conservationists said about it. And he said this, I don't speak whale and I don't speak dolphin. But there was obviously something that went on because the two whales changed their attitude from being quite distressed to following the dolphin quite willingly and directly along the beach and straight out of the area. What a great ending, an unexpected ending because there was an expectation of tragedy because the whales couldn't seem to realize where freedom was found. And that was the same problem Paul saw with the Galatian church. They had experienced freedom and it seems that they were returning to the sandbanks of slavery. And so this book of Galatians was written uh, and it's about living free. And what Paul says in the book is he said it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. And we're going to see in the book of Galatians that it's kind of like this ridge of a path of freedom that we can walk along. And on one side of the path, there is hazards, but also on the other side, there are hazards too. And we're going to see that on this journey of liberty, the importance of staying on this path. Because on one side, there is this swamp, this mud, this filth of of being caught up in living for self and being, and being submerged and subdued and entangled with sins that, 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 that can consume us. And we read in, in the Gospels of so many people who were freed from that, someone like Zacchaeus. And we see when the chains fell off him and his heart was free, what difference it made when he had escaped from that swamp a swamp that the Galatians had escaped from. But we're also going to see that on the other side of the gully, there is also another thing that threatens our freedom. And that is the, 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 the chains of religion, of rules and regulations and rituals that enslave us in another way. These are things that produce pride and produce guilt and produce discouragement and living with the, I'm not good enough. I'm not as good as that person or God can't accept me. And it it gives us burden because we're seeking perfection that we can't find. And in both cases, Jesus came to set us free. And Paul, we're going to see, is someone who was delivered from freedom himself. And so he was passionate about sharing this with other people about what they could do. So we're going to see that living in freedom, the key to living in freedom is walking in grace. And today we're going to look just very briefly at the beginning of the letter. Uh, We're going to look at the, the tone that Paul said at the beginning of the letter and discover that what we think is a message for beginners, and this is really important, is a message for all of us to live by. What we sometimes think is a message for beginners is a message that we need to immerse ourselves in. So 
by way of background, this letter was written to, as I say, a bunch of churches in Galatia. Christianity had started at Pentecost in, in, in Jerusalem, and then it has spread out Judea, uh, uh, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, as Jesus prophesied. And, and, and it had moved out from this Jewish route to all sorts of non-Jews, Gentiles, as they were called. And Galatians is written to this group of churches in a region of modern-day Turkey. And they were a bunch of people who were Gentiles, but there were Jews who were coming from Jerusalem and saying, and and saying look, look, that's a good start you've made, but, but, but we're going to add a few things to help you be more acceptable to God. And these churches were Paul's spiritual children. And he was, he was, he was seeing them. He was watching them like a whale being uh, trapped on a, on a sandbar. He was watching them being consumed with something that he was really frightened of, of what they might become. And so these people were saying, you've made a good start with the gospel. That's good. Now, you need to build on that. You need to be circumcised and you need to obey this and you need to obey that if you're going to be acceptable to God. I don't know about you, but if you've seen the encouragement of someone who comes to faith, it's infectious. If you've walked with someone as they come to faith and you've seen them released from the burdens of, of, of either sin or religion to become free to followers of Christ, it's so encouraging to watch. And for Paul, he had seen this in this bunch of people and he was watching it being eroded away. And it can happen today. It can happen today in our churches. It can happen today on, on even well-meaning churches who, who, who are, and, and maybe in our church too, where we were so afraid of someone falling in this side that we, that we pull them into a position where we say, well, you need to do this and you need to do this and you need to do this. These are, these are things like above and beyond what we're clearly instructed to do by Jesus in Scripture. I remember when I was, and some of you might know this story, dating Bethel. Uh, and uh, she had a friend, a young fella, and, and I got to know him. He's a nice fella, and he became a Christian. And it was lovely to see his change in demeanor. But within about three months, he approached Bethel, and he said, Bethel, I've got a concern about Alistair. I, I was known as Alistair back then. I still am the Bethel. Um, and, and she said, what is it? And he said, well, I'd prefer to talk to you over a cup of coffee. And uh, so she said, okay. And she was wondering, what, 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 what has he done? Has he married? Has he, has, he, has, he, uh, has he got a violent past that I need to know about? Uh, and, and he came over to our house and, and, uh, and had a cup of coffee. And she said, well, tell me what your problem is. He said, you may already know this, but I think you should leave Alistair because he's a Presbyterian. And she said, what? He's a Presbyterian. You shouldn't be dating a Presbyterian if you're a Christian. Now, let me, let me explain something to you before I go on. I was a Presbyterian. I'm very proud of the fact that I was a Presbyterian. I didn't leave the Presbyterian church in order to date Bethel. In fact, I enjoy fellowship with our Presbyterian friends right across this town and in other towns as well. But somehow there's this gospel plus attitude that this fellow had been infiltrated by, I would say, Pharisees who were telling him, that you can't be a Christian and belong to another denomination from ours. So Paul was hearing about this sort of thing and he wrote this letter about freedom. Watch out that you don't get locked up into bondage, he was saying. You see, Paul started as a narrow-minded, fundamental, fanatical, bigoted Jew. 
And the message of Jesus didn't fit well with his religion. And so he set about trying to destroy the message of Jesus and destroy the messengers of Jesus. What an unlikely candidate to then meet Jesus. Years after, a few years after Jesus had died, Paul met the risen Savior. And somehow in that, in that meeting of the risen Savior, Paul abandoned all of the respect, all of the uh, intellect, the uh, reputation that he had from being educated at, a, at one of the best universities by one of the best professors, seen so well in his community, to abandoning all of that, to following Jesus. He had discovered freedom and he was passionate about others discovering it too. And so he wrote in Galatians, a person's not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So let's look at the letter very briefly uh, this morning. I'll, I'll um, just leave that slide up for a minute. Um, and, and at the beginning of a letter, uh, what, what people typically started with was they started with who was the letter from and who was the letter to. I don't know if you've ever received a, a, a letter from someone um, and it's handwritten. When it's typed, you know, it's probably just, I don't know, junk mail or whatever. But when it's handwritten, first thing I do is, is go towards the bottom of the letter and see who it's from. Because I want to know, because it, it, it gives me an impression of, of what, what am I going to think about? What, what, what's the context for the letter? Um, and, and so you, you, you want to know who it's from. And obviously, it's, it's already uh, addressed to me uh, or to you in the case of a letter being received. And somehow when you handwrite something, it, it, it makes it more personal. Um, I remember uh, when I was recently, uh, you'll know, and I'm sure she won't mind me telling you, uh, when Norma fell... And, and broke her hip, um, I thought, you know, I'm one, of, I'm one of her pastors. I need to write to her and, and express a pastoral concern to her. And uh, so, so uh, I, I set about writing a card to Norma, and I wrote to Norma. And on the front of the letter, I put uh, what her address was, and at the bottom of the card that I put inside the letter, I signed it. And I thought, you know, when I'm at it, my sister-in-law, I'm on a roll here, my sister-in-law, she, she, needs, a, she needs a wee letter because she'd uh, sadly lost her dog. Now, those of you who have had a pet will know the, the, the heartbreak that it is to lose a pet. And so I thought, you know what, I'll Nobody generally does this, but I'll write her a wee card too. So I put her name in the front of the envelope, and uh, her name is Sandra. And I, and I, I wrote a, just a heartfelt expression of, 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 I don't know, pastoral concern to her. And again, I signed it at the bottom. And uh, I was feeling quite good about myself being, you know, quite pastoral. And, uh, and I sent off the letters. And uh, then a couple of days later, my brother rang me. and says, look, Ali, thanks very much for sending Sandra that card. He says, no problem. She says, so the only problem is Sandra hasn't broken her hip. And then I put two and two together. And then after a minute or two, I thought, Norma's in hospital. She gets her meal picked up by, I think, her daughter who brought it to hospital. And Norma received this letter from her pastor. And she opened it up and I said, sorry, your dog died. <laughs> now, the good news is it put a smile on Norma's face. And that's a true story. But actually, there's some merit in a letter which says who it's from and who it's to at the very beginning. And that's the way letters were addressed in those days. And then after that, and, and you see that at the beginning of, of, of the letter of Paul, after that, you get the greeting. And Paul's greeting is grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. All Paul's letters start with that. I love it. Grace and peace. 
It's a beautiful word, grace. It's my father's favorite word. It was my father's favorite word. But it strikes me that you'll never know peace unless you understand grace. And Paul was at pains to explain to the Galatians what grace was all about. It's grace that causes our salvation, but peace is the result of our salvation. And I know in, in cap life skills, for example, I know there's times when we pray for people and they're looking for peace. And as I'm praying it, I'm thinking they're not going to get peace until they understand grace. And when I'm praying for peace upon them, I am in effect praying that they will know God's grace. Understanding grace and peace, you see, is the key to freedom. And so uh, we have the greeting and, uh, and, and Paul then, after the greeting, in, in, in the greeting, he outlines the gospel. And in a moment, I'm going to actually outline it a wee bit for you about how he says uh, what the gospel is. But having said that, I want to just ask you a question. When I say that, we're going to talk about the gospel. What goes through your head? It might be specific to a Northern Ireland terminology, what you understand to be the gospel. But it might also be that you think, ah, yes, that's, that's really important to do that. That's for a few people uh, to hear. That's important for people to hear online. But I, I know that message. I've, I've heard that message before. I've heard the gospel message. That's for beginners in the faith. But that's exactly the trap that the Galatians were falling into. That was the mistake that they were making. And Paul wanted to let them know that the gospel was not the ABC of faith, but it was the A to Z of faith. That we need to live by, we need to understand, we need to fill our imagination with, we need to be consumed with the reality of what the gospel is. And Paul's prayer but even for the Ephesians was, he said, I pray that you'll grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. That you may be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. His prayer was that they would know the reality of living in this message of the gospel. So let's uh, look at what he said in verses three to five. Um, the gospel message of grace. And you can see it in, in, in your own Bibles if you want. But he says, Grace and peace to you from our God, uh, uh, sorry, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for you to rescue us from our present age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory uh, forever and ever. Amen. What Paul did in that initial greeting was actually outline the gospel. He talked about four different things in here. And the first thing he talks about is this word rescue. He's talked about rescuing us. When someone needs rescued, it's because they're helpless and lost. So what does that say about us? First of all, it says that we are in our own state helpless and lost. My mum and dad, some years ago, actually also in New Zealand, they were, they were seeing relatives. They were doing one of these sort of lifetime trips. And mum was in her 60s and dad was in his early 70s. And they went for a swim uh, off the coast uh, somewhere. Not on the same place where this dolphin was, by the way. Um, but as they were swimming, they, they, they weren't panicking, but they, they, they discovered that there was this sort of riptide seemed to be pulling them out further and further. And they started swimming towards shore and realized that the more they were swimming, even the harder they were swimming, it was making no effect. It was having no impact on where they were going. 
And, and they hadn't got distressed yet, but a surfer saw them and he saw that they were possibly in danger. So he paddled over to them and he said, are you in trouble? And they said, actually, we are. We're actually in quite a bit of trouble here. So he said, hang on to my board. And then he whistled to his friend, got his friend to surf into shore. They picked up these life uh, guards and they came out on this one of these big ride on jet skis and came out and rescued mom and dad. That actually made the local paper. They wrote a letter and thanked the guy because they don't know who he was, but uh, in the hope that he would one day receive it. But the point was this. They were totally and utterly lost. They were helpless and they needed rescued. They totally needed rescued. There was nothing they could do in themselves. And that's this picture of rescue that Paul wants us to get here. That who are we? We are people who are helpless and lost. We are needing rescued. It goes on to say that Jesus gave himself for us. This word for, on behalf of us. That Jesus did it all. That's why the gospel is revolutionary. He, he stood in our place. Not as a second chance for us, but as a done deal. And this is a really important message to hear this. This is amazing because everything was accomplished. And there's so many times when we think God couldn't love me because of this or because I did that or because of my past. But the amazing thing is this rescue is a complete rescue and it's once for all. And then what did the father do? He raised Christ from the dead. We read it in verse 1. He accepted that sacrifice. We were needing to be rescued. Jesus stood in our place and the Father accepted that. And the question is why? And the answer is, according to these verses, according to the will of our Father. We didn't ask him to do it. We didn't deserve him to do it. We didn't even realize we needed it. But Jesus achieved the rescue that we couldn't achieve for ourselves. And there's no other motivation than God's sheer grace. His unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor of us. This is so important for us to grasp. So let me try and illustrate it. These are my cream eggs, I promise you. They weren't stolen from the church. There's not one, there's not two, there's three cream eggs here. Seriously, there's three cream eggs here. And I'm going to give them out now. Dawn, come here. These are for you, Dawn. You're very welcome. You take those. And there's no condition on those cream eggs. Everybody, Dawn's got three cream eggs. There is no condition on those cream eggs. Dawn didn't do anything today to merit that. She didn't do anything. She didn't say anything. I just decided to give those to Dawn. Think about that for a minute. That is grace. It's unearned. It's unmerited. It's unexpected. So C.S. Lewis said that makes Christianity unique above all other religions. Grace. Other religions talk about salvation by works. But Christian faith, following Jesus, God says, because I will it, nothing we have done. If you accept this, this is unmerited favor of God. And the heart of the gospel is that we are helplessly lost and the past is forgiven. Maybe you need to hear that again. The past is forgiven. We don't need to live in guilt 
Freedom comes from grasping that reality and living in that reality, consuming our imagination and mind and heart with that reality. Jesus was once asked, what must I do to do the work that God requires? And he said this, believe in the one he has sent. And Paul had allowed the Galatians to grasp that message. And so then, after that introductory message, normally what happens is you go on to the, a message of thanksgiving uh, in a letter with Paul. And, and, and he, he says in one, to the Philippians, he says, I thank God every time we remember you. And in the Corinthians, he says, I always thank God because of the grace given in Christ Jesus. And always after this greeting, he would put a note of thanksgiving. But here, he goes straight in to the jugular. Here he goes right in their faces and he doesn't say any thanksgiving. He just says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you. There's urgency, there's anger, there's frustration, there's emotion. How come? It's because they're embracing a message which is gospel plus. Jesus plus anything is no gospel at all. If anyone, next slide there, if anyone preaches gospel plus, Paul says, may he be under God's curse because Jesus plus nothing equals everything. He was watching them lose their freedom and the gospel says this, hear me in this, I can't contribute anything to my salvation. It's by grace. It's not because of now the level of my belief that God loves me more. There's nothing I can do. So there's no place for pride to look at someone else or to look at me and say, Jesus really loves me. And you know, I have to say, I can't really blame him. On the other side, I am more loved than I dared to hope because Jesus died for me. Anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new is come, and there's no need for guilt. There's no need for guilt. There is no need for guilt. There is no place for guilt. Living in grace creates an opportunity for growth and obedience and love. We have been rescued to live free. And so walking through Galatians is a path of grace ridge. He gives me the power not to fall into sin and he rescues me from the chains of religion. I'm just going to finish with an example I heard of a young fellow who had come to faith and he spoke to his pastor. This is a true story. He spoke to his pastor and he said, look, I normally go to the cinema on a Sunday evening. Should I do that? And the pastor was, um, was kind of tempted to, to, to give him guidance, but then he realized there is no specific verse in this. And he said, I'm not going to tell you. He said, why aren't you going to tell me? I want to know. He said, ask Jesus to tell you. He says, how do you mean? Bring Jesus with you to the cinema and see what he says. It's not for me to say, it's for Jesus to say. And so he said, okay. So he went to the cinema, true story. He went to the booth, just himself, and he asked the girl for two tickets. And she said, two, two tickets? Yeah, yeah, two tickets. Is there another person coming? Yeah, yeah, he's here. Who is it? Jesus. True story. She said, um, but I, I don't see him. I can only give you a ticket for you know, somebody that's there. He says, no, Jesus is here. She said, let me ask my manager. She called the manager and the manager said, how are you doing? Well, how can I help? He says, I want two tickets. She's only selling me one. He said, why do you want two tickets? He says, for Jesus. 
manager does the same thing, scratches his head. Then he thinks, well, profits, we're not full up. Why not just sell the ticket? So he sold the ticket. And he sold two tickets for him and for Jesus. And he walked into the cinema and he started watching the movie. And 10 minutes into the movie with his popcorn out, with Jesus beside him, he realized and he thought to himself, do you know what? Jesus doesn't like this. And he got up and he left. Because walking in freedom is walking in the breath of the Spirit. Walking on the ridge of grace is understanding the foundation of Jesus in the favor of God's love, breathing the Holy Spirit and being inspired to know what direction he's going to take us. And as we walk that ridge, we enjoy the favor of God and he produces fruit in our lives. Who wouldn't want that? That's the journey we're going on in this book. It's the journey of freedom. And I commend you to read the book as we go through it in the next few weeks. Jillian.